As always, I'm grateful to be here with all of you. Always glad to have a full house during this particular season. I think it makes it a little merrier, at least for me. Let's pray before we begin this morning. Gracious God, we meet you here, you who were before time and yet subject yourself to us, time-bound, earth-bound creation. We are thankful for your presence here with us. We are grateful that you have come and are yet to come. And we ask that as we study your scripture, as we hear the truth of who you are, that we might reflect that more rightly into the world. Make us more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Music has been a constant for humanity for thousands of years. Since the very beginning of people, there has been a desire for music. There are primitive bone flutes that predate agricultural civilization as a whole. The earliest musical notation that we have is on a Sumerian clay tablet from 4,000 years ago. The oldest known complete musical composition is an ancient Greek piece from the first century AD known as the Hurrian Hymn Number no. 6 uh, for the god Nicol. The Christian sort of version of that, our earliest written text of a song with musical notation, is around the third century in Egypt on a papyrus. And this Oxyrhynchus hymn, named after the place where they found it, praises God in Trinity and calls for silence in awe of God's glory. Songs, just like stories, have a way of teaching us, of maintaining our memory of events, of sharing belief across time and space, and of expressing deep human emotion. Songs combine poetry, music, history, and rhythm. Often we sing and play and write songs out of genuine emotion, as if there is no way to keep what we are feeling contained within ourselves. This week, we're going to read a passage from Luke chapter 1, from before Jesus's birth. And we will see his mother, Mary, meeting with her cousin, Elizabeth. Both are pregnant and both have had encounters with the divine presence, offering them promises about their children and the impact that they will have on the world. Let's read from Luke chapter 1, 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This passage is a powerful one in the narrative of Jesus' birth, and it contains echoes of three songs, or maybe one song sung in three different ways in the past and the present and in the future. The first week of Advent, you may remember, we talked a little bit about the time weirdness when we think about Jesus' coming in this season. We ourselves in this year think about Jesus' first coming in his birth and also his second coming yet to come. And we see some of that time oddity in this text as well. The many centuries of prophets who came before this year, before Elizabeth and Mary met in this hill country home, are not mentioned explicitly, the prophets who prophesied and wrote and spoke to Israel. But they are present. And we know that in part because of the presence of John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, he who was the symbol of all of that Old Testament prophecy. We also hear the repeated theme of promise from both Elizabeth and Mary, which reminds us that this is not the first time God has promised salvation. This promise has been coming for a long time. Those who cried out for salvation and hope and justice from the very beginning were waiting, and that waiting is almost at an end. So before Elizabeth even begins to sing, we hear her song alongside the song of the prophets, whose waiting was not in vain. Then as Mary enters the home of her cousin and greets her, the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Elizabeth is then filled with the Holy Spirit, the text tells us, and speaks, or more accurately sings, cries out, and prophesies in response to the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb. She blesses Mary, blesses the child that she carries, surprised and honored that the woman who carries God is in her home. In this moment, they are not speaking as cousins, but rather as servant and bearer of God. This is not about a visit from someone you love. This is about a visit from the divine. Elizabeth describes to Mary what happened when she came in the house, that the surprising prophesied child in her own body jumped for joy at Mary's presence. And Elizabeth's song finishes with a blessing, grateful that Mary would believe what God had spoken to her would come true. The centerpiece of this text, and perhaps of all of the birth of Jesus story, is the song that Mary sings, inspired by the presence of the Holy Spirit and her cousin Elizabeth, and overcome by the realities and emotions of this moment. The text doesn't tell us if Mary herself is overcome by the Holy Spirit, but we see the hand of at least two persons of the Trinity in this moment alone. 
She is reacting to God's presence, not just promised anymore, but now very real, becoming embodied, being knit together, sinew and bone, muscle and flesh, DNA strand. Mary begins by acknowledging God's status, magnified and glorified far above humanity, and her own status as one who is a lowly servant. She affirms God's great name, God's mercy for those who fear him, for those who acknowledge the power of God. She describes that power, God's power, strong-armed and mighty. She speaks of God's eternal promise and God's work to care for the people. The song does not attempt to ignore the deep realities of everyday life. Mary lists the presence of those with influence over the lives of the vulnerable, those who are proud, those who wield power, those who are rich. In this song of Mary, they are not ethically neutral positions, but positions of threat to the community. And how does God deal with them, those who wield power and threaten the vulnerable? God scatters them, brings them down off their thrones, and sends them away empty. This is important, not just for Mary, who is herself poor and young, disempowered, and humble, but also for everyone who has ever experienced oppression and shame, abuse, disadvantage by someone else. Mary affirms that the God she carries, who came to her, who is about to be a human, is a God not of the powerful, but of the people. This God comes as a fulfillment of the promises that have been made since the ancient times, a promise of mercy, support, and love. Mary's song of joy, of truth, of power, of glorification, and of justice says things will be better by God's presence among us, even when now does not look good. Within Mary's song, we hear several references to the generations those who would come after her. She says that they will consider her blessed because of the role she plays as mother of God, though she knows she herself is in many regards insignificant. And it is true, even within her own life, as she watched her son become a public figure and teacher, as she did her best to keep him safe, but showed her own ignorance about his role, as she experienced her own moments of doubt, and as she watched him die. The early Christians who knew Mary personally and those who knew of her role in his story blessed her willingness to say yes to God, to carry God's child, blessed her faithfulness that led to her being chosen, blessed the ordinary and mundane reality of raising a baby who happened to be God. They rejoiced even after she was long gone, and sang with her the glory of God in her actions. But we also are included in Mary's song, and her confidence in the generations whose lives would be changed by God's presence. As Christians, although we are separated by thousands of years by this young child carrying a young child, 
we also join the song she sings, the song Elizabeth sings, the song sung by the prophets and the early Christians, sung by all who wait in hope for salvation, for deliverance. And we add our voices, no matter how feeble, to this very noisy chorus, choosing to believe that because of the real, serious presence of God, that things will be better, that good will win over unrighteousness, that justice will come in full for all things, that what is wrong will be made right, because God is coming to be with God's creation. In response to the song of the prophets, to the song of Elizabeth, to the song of Mary, and the song of the early Christians, we join in. This does not usually mean singing a literal song, though our worship is crucial. But our song is about expressing our deep emotions about Christ's coming, the complex reality and grief of the world around us, and choosing to cling to the promises God has made about what is to come. Singing our song is about expressing and choosing hope. Not a hope that we carry ignorant of what is happening around us, but a hope we hold with bloodied fists from wrestling it back from the darkness that tries to take it from us. It is about refusing to be silent when we feel joy and confidence in a future we cannot see. It is likely this week that you will see the struggle. Maybe it is in your own life, an unexpected health challenge, a wave of depression, a family member who shames you, a bill you weren't planning on and don't have the money to pay. Maybe it is in someone else's life, a news report about war in other nations, a friend who loses their job, a child you know who is hospitalized, the sight of an unhoused veteran reminding you of the systematic failure to care for others. As you feel these griefs, as you notice this loneliness, as you desperately wish for a little bit of Christmas spirit in the gloom of the darkness around you, may you return to the hope of Mary's song. Say a phrase to yourself like this one, internalizing the promise, God has not forgotten God's mercy. God has not forgotten God's mercy. God has come to offer hope. The wording itself is not overly relevant. It is the sentiment of Mary's song that we ought to carry with us each time we encounter this which tries to take our hope. Our way to sing the song alongside others is keeping hope in our hearts, allowing it to fill us up and allowing that light to shine to others. Our world is difficult, complicated, unfair, challenging, unjust, threatening, and just stressful. And you don't need me to tell you that. But singing the song means believing that Jesus, human God, will not abandon us to these things, but has come and will come to set us free from all of it. We're going to finish our reflection today with a reading from that same passage in Eugene Peterson's The Message. 
Mary sings, I am bursting with God news, dancing in the song of my Savior, God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others, his mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arms and showed his strength, scattering the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off of their high horses and pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich are left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It is exactly as he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up until now. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these broadcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.